This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Genesis chapter 38. We're dealing with a very unique and different story. And the story is about, it's really about this woman named Tamar. And she is going to be in the line of Jesus. She's a great, great grandmother. And I probably left out several greats, grandmother of Jesus. And it's important because Jesus comes from the line of Judah. And Judah is going to be one of Jesus's all those great grandma grandfathers and his his line is going to go through Judah and also interestingly through Tamar and how we get to that because Tamar we see we saw from yesterday's Bible study Tamar is the daughter of Judah's son and she was his she's not the daughter she's the wife of Judah's son Ur and Ur was wicked and the Bible doesn't define a whole lot about that. Doesn't tell us, go into great detail about his wickedness. The Bible just says he was wicked. And if he was so wicked that God saw fit, he should be taken out, killed. God took his life. If he saw that he was that wicked, he had to be very wicked. And not only that, God was not going to have his line go. It was not going to happen that way. And so God separated it. Now, what's about to happen is very important. And the understanding of why it's happening is very important. And so we got to go into some detail about that. And the reason we got to go into detail is I need to explain some principles to you because these Old Testament principles have New Testament biblical understandings. And it's of great importance that you get what's going on in this. Number one, as far as the promises of God, the promises of God pass through, pass through to the next generation by inheritance. And that inheritance went through the sons. And if you were going to be tied to the promises of God, you were going to obviously be tied to the sons. The family was an important unit in the way God saw his promises being carried through. In fact, the family was the most important unit. God's promises did not get handed down from government to government. God's promises existed in his church, but by the way, his church existed to bring families and people to him. The body of God, the people of God who worship him, they worship him in these groups called families, and families were very important. And so if you were going to have the promises of God passed down to you, they would obviously be passed down through an inheritance from the son to the his wife and to his children. And so his wife would be tied to the promises or to the blessings of God that were given to the family. His wife would be tied by marriage to the son. And then the children would be tied to the father because obviously they're the offspring of the father. And so obviously the plan and the way God moved was through his was through the family 
to pass down promises, to pass down his anointing, to pass down his goodness and his purposes. They were passed down through the family. Now, there's a problem with that, and there's an important problem with that, which leads to why in the Old Testament they did what they did. And that promise is, what if the father dies? What if the father dies, and especially, what if the father dies and has no children? You'd say, then in, in our modern day looking at inheritance, if there's four children and the parent dies without a will, then the, the estate is split evenly between the four. Now, let's say that one of the children has died and they don't have any children. That line is extinguished. It ends. And so the line then goes to the other three and it's split evenly between the other three. Let's say one of them, them is dead and then and then they have three children. Their one third would go to each one of the three children in a third. So one third times one third is one ninth. Each one of those children would get one ninth. It's passed on through the, the child to the parent. If, if a husband dies and his wife has had no children, she's barren. If she has no children, she does not get to partake in the promises. And by the way, it's very important to understand she was paid for by the father, by the father to, to her husband. And when he dies, she's cut off from the promises. You see this story heavily in, in the story of Ruth. She's cut off from those promises. She doesn't have access to them. They're going to go to the other children, just like in our modern day law. Wife who, whose husband doesn't inherit from her husband's family. Now, you go, what, how did God fix this problem? The way he fixes, fixes the problem is that when a woman dies, when a woman's husband dies, the, the woman's husband's brothers are to marry her, not as their wife, but as their brother's wife. And he is to give them children so that they continue to have line. And so when the inheritance is passed on, it's passed on to their children. And their children have a mandate, a scriptural mandate to take care of their mother. And as you can see, the Old Testament law not only contemplated taking care of women and making sure that women were cared for and that their needs were met, but it mandated that they were continually tied to the promises and to the inheritance of God, because if their husband, if they were married to a husband, they would have children with that husband, and they'd be always tied to the promises because the children and the husband were mandated to love and to care for their wife. And in fact, God did not want them to get divorced. In fact, he, the only reason he allowed for it is because they had hard hearts, and and he want his desire God's perfect plan was for them to be a part of his promises as they were passed down from generation to generation. Now, if their husband died, he took care of it too because their husband's brother was to come and give them children if they didn't have children so that those children would take care of them and then that deposit of inheritance would be passed on. Now, there's another issue, and I know I'm doing a lot of math in this Bible study this morning, but you need to understand it. There's another issue that develops. If, if you had, like in this situation, if you had 12 sons and you were passing on your inheritance to 12 sons, they wouldn't be split in 12 even parts. There would be 13 parts, meaning it'd be divided 13 ways, and the oldest son would get two of the parts. 
So no matter how many children, if you have five sons, then the oldest son would get two six. If you had 10 sons, then the oldest son would get two elevenths, and then all the other ones get one eleventh. If you had two sons, then the oldest son would get two thirds, and the youngest son would get one third. In this situation, you've got three children, so the oldest son, Er, would have inherited two-fourths of his father's estate, and that's half. And the other two brothers would only inherit a quarter of his father's estate. They would only receive a quarter of that passed down to them. That obviously is a problem for the brothers, and especially when the brothers do not want to follow God's plan or God's law or God's or God's ruling on how to do this. Now you say, we're in Genesis and there isn't any law. Yes, there is law. There's law that's written on their heart. There's understandings that they have. God has not left them without a law. Now, are they condemned according to the law? No, because they don't have it. But are they condemned according to the revelation of God and God's understanding that he's given them of himself? Yes, and we know that's the truth even today of those who don't know God and don't know God's law. We know that from the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews explaining that they're still under the law. They're still under God's divine sovereignty, his divine will and they need to understand, and they do understand, that there are some things that shouldn't be done. And in fact, the whole story that happened with, with the sister and the brothers killing a whole village and all the things that happened in the Dinah inst incident, all those things that happened there, we knew to be wrong. It was wrong for the man to take Dinah, and it was wrong for the brothers to kill that whole town and to kill all those people. And how do we know it's wrong? Because God said it was wrong. It's We have an innate knowledge in our hearts that murder is wrong. We have an innate knowledge that taking someone without doing it properly, as far as re relationships, as far as, as far as going and asking for one in marriage, is wrong. We understand that. And we understand that when you do that, you do wrong. And people know that innately in their heart. And we don't have to have law to tell us that. God has written his law on our heart. And so we understand that they understood that you had to take care of the females that were married to your brothers or your children. And the reason you had to take care of them is because it was right. It was the right thing to do. And providing them a deposit so that they could have the promises and the inheritance of God passed on through them and they could benefit from that was of utmost importance. And they understood that before they had the Mosaic law. They understood that. And so when Ur died, there was a rule. The next brother had to marry his sister and provide her heirs. That was the way it was supposed to be. And everybody knew it. And so it says in verse seven, that the heir Judas firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord killed him. And then it says, and Judas said to Onan, Go into your brother, that's his second son, your brother's wife, and marry her and raise up an heir, notice, to your brother. Raise up an heir to your brother. I'm sitting there going, if I if I do that, then I'm going to end up with only a fourth of my father's estate. And then this heir that I'm going to give to Tamar is going to get half of my father's estate. Well, that ain't right. That's what he's saying. And But it is right. It is right. And he had a duty and responsibility to do it according to God's law. And so he didn't do it. And we're going to see that he's not going to do it. He said, I'm going to get two thirds of my father's estate because his line is going to be cut off. And I'm going to get, I'm going to get, there's only going to be two brothers. 
split into thirds, and I get two of them. He says, I'm going to get two thirds of my father's inheritance, and I'm not going to give that up. And it says, but Onan in verse eight knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he emitted on the ground. Now, I don't need to go into detail about that. He did not pass his seed along to Tamar. And so when he was married to her, rather than taking care of her and doing what was best for not only his dead brother, but doing what was best critically for Tamar. And that is the most important thing you need to understand. It was for Tamar that he was doing this because Tamar is the one who is going to be cut off and have nothing and have to live in destitution. Tamar is the one who's going to go, have to go out and figure out how to feed herself and how to house herself based off of having no relationship with anybody who's got any property and anybody who's got any ability to make an income and to provide for her. And we all know that ultimately how that ends up as far as she's going to have to prostitute herself out in order to make that happen. And so Onan knew that. He didn't care. All he cared for was himself. And so what did he do? He admitted to, on the ground lest he should give an heir to his brother. That's the end of verse 9. He admitted on the ground so that he could not give lest he give an heir to his brother. And this thing which he did displeased the Lord. I want you to notice that. It says quite clearly here that this thing that he did displeased the Lord. It was not the right thing. It was not pleasing to God. And did God know? Yeah. Did God, did he know? Did Onan know? Absolutely. In fact, it, it can be translated not displeased. It was evil in the eyes of the Lord. It was wrong. And you go, well, did he really have a duty? And so many times we worry about whether or not you have a duty or responsibility legally to take care of this or that or the other. And so many times we get into the law. And let me tell you something. I'm a lawyer, so I know all about how to get into that. But the truth is the preeminent law of the universe is not the Old Testament law. The preeminent law of the universe is the law of the spirit or the law of love or the law of Jesus Christ provided to his church. That is the preeminent law of the universe. And it emanates from the character of God. And that law is very easy to understand. It only has three parts to it. And each part starts with the word L-O-V-E, love. And what that means is that is agape love, God's love, self-sacrificial love, giving to others love that looks out for the best interest of everyone around you. And it starts out with the first and greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then the second one is like, meaning equal, meaning not equal in the sense that you can have one and the other on each side of the equal sign. They're equal in that they cannot be divided. You cannot have one without the other. They are synonyms of each other. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the third one, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love each other, meaning people within the body, people within the promises of God, love each other as I have loved you. What does that mean? That means that we're to love each other self-sacrificially, just like Jesus self-sacrificially loved us. And so that is the preeminent law. That's the law of the New Testament. That is the law of Jesus. That is the very character and nature of God. 
And so if you do something that is outside that character and nature, and we all know we do, and if we and if you have that in your heart to do, even if you don't do it, you're still there. You're still a lawbreaker according to our understanding of the law. If that exists inside of you, which is clearly outside of God's law, which is clearly outside of God's character, which makes you not God, but it makes you not God. You're not him anymore. You don't have his character and nature. You're, by definition, not God. You are evil. You are that is sinful. That is wrong. And it's hard to it's hard to put my hands around how great and immense that is. Anything that's outside the character of God, the nature of God, who he actually is by definition not God, and we call that evil or sin. In the Old Testament it would have been called Ra, which is evil. It's wrong. It's outside the nature of God. And the Bible says that when he emitted on the ground so that he did not take care of his brother's line, which ultimately in the end was a refusal to take care of this widow Tamar and her future. When that happened, what does it say? That this displeased the Lord or it was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And therefore, what did God do? Well, he killed him too. And we see that Judah's line is being taken out. And the reason Judah's line is being taken out is because they are evil or wicked. And why are they evil and wicked? Judah, we see, actually has somewhat of a heart. He's the one who didn't want his brother Joseph to be killed. He's the one that tried to keep all that all that stuff from happening. He's the first one to stand up and say, we probably shouldn't do this. This plan that y'all have is probably not the best plan for how we ought to handle this situation. So we know that he understands God's nature and God's promises. We know that he understands his precepts. And yet, what did he do? He married a Canaanite woman. And God clearly told him not to marry a Canaanite woman, which means quite obviously you can have an inclination toward God's character and nature. You can know him. You can walk with him. But when you clearly do things that are outside of his direction, his clear direction for what's best in your life, it's going to result in things like this happening. Things like you having sons that are wicked, sons that don't want to do God's will, sons that don't chase after God's will. And how many times do we see that happen? All the time. We see one generation rise up and they know God. Then the next generation knows about God. And the third generation doesn't even know God. And the reason that is, is because not because the first generation didn't know God. It's because the first generation knew God and yet did not do what God clearly told them to do. And so they miss out on the character and nature of God. And what happens, what's happened is Judah married a Canaanite wife and had three sons with him. And two of them are clearly no doubt about it, wicked. They're not sinful. They will not do God's will and God's plan. And and one of them, the Bible just says he was wicked and God took him. The second one, we can clearly see the wickedness of his heart because he refuses to do what's clearly according to what they knew about God and understood about his character and nature. They he refused to do that. And what did God do? It was evil in his sight and he took him. And understand that God laid both of them because of their wickedness. We see that a man who understands God's word and God's, the man Judah, made choices in his life, which ultimately 
ended up causing him to lose his children because he's not doing what God told him to do. And let me say this, doing God's will and doing God's purposes, trying to figure out what God's plan is for your life and actively doing that is important, very important for you. But I want to say this to you also. It's of high importance to your children. Your children will be blessed by you doing what you're supposed to be doing, by you being obedient, by you being faithful, by you hearing God's word and acting in faith and doing it. And that's what we call being obedient to God's instruction. That has great importance for your life and then great importance for your spouse's life, but it has great significance for your children's life. Even children who are older, even children who are out of your household, it has great significance for them because it leads to blessings being passed on that they don't even know or understand. And so I'd say to you today that you ought to consider that. And you ought to look at the life of Judah, a man who clearly knew God, yet would not follow all the precepts and the directions of God. And ultimately that cost not only him, but it cost his family because he's unwilling to do what God clearly told him to do. And we need to be a people of faith, a people who chase after knowing God's will, seeking his face, and also a people, once we've seen his face, once we understand who he is by nature and by character, once we see that we actually walk in faith and trust him and allow that character and nature to become our character and nature. And if we do that, I promise you this, God's blessings, God's anointing, God's power, God's providence is going to be passed on generation to generation. And that is a promise that you can... <clears throat> receive, accept, and walk in. And I pray you will. I expect you will. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.